from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Let us be attentive. Brethren, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows that I do not lie. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must boast, there is nothing to be gained by it, But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, fourteen years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I wish to boast, I shall not be a fool, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I refrained from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me, and to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all but the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Peace be with you, the reader. With your spirit. To St. Luke, let us be attentive. Glory to you, Lord, glory to you. The Lord said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate lay a poor man, Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able... And none may cross from there to us. And he said, And I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn him, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced. If someone should rise from the dead. Peace be to you who reads the good tidings. Glory to you, O Lord. Glory to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We could probably say what I'm about to say about every gospel passage, but I would say it is particularly true of this one, and that uh, is that this is a very, very important gospel for us to really pay attention to for many reasons. I'm going to go over a few of them very quickly, and then I'm going to focus on a couple of things in particular. One of the reasons why this is an extremely important gospel passage is because it points out in very clear ways the immortality of the soul. The soul does not die when it separates from the body. Not only does it not die, but it remains conscious and aware of itself and others. When both this rich man and Lazarus died and their souls separated from their bodies, the rich man was taken into Hades and Lazarus was taken into paradise. But both of them remained aware. They, on the one hand, were aware of pain and suffering and torment. And on the other hand, they were aware of the bliss of paradise. Not only were they aware of themselves, but they were aware of each other. And the rich man was even aware of his brothers who were still alive on earth. 
Secondly, we know from this particular passage that there was nothing that the rich man could do in and of himself to get to Lazarus. There was nothing that he could do by himself to change his state of suffering and torment and pain. He even wanted Lazarus to dip his finger into water and drip some of it onto his tongue. That shows you what deprivation he was suffering, but Lazarus could not. Furthermore, even though he was in pain and agony over his brothers, not wanting them to experience what he was experiencing, there was nothing that he could do for them either. Thirdly, death and a foretaste of judgment awaits each of us. There's nothing we can do about that. That is as true and as much of a reality as our own existence is right now. And what this gospel points to is that if we do not respond to what God is giving us now, through the scriptures, through the life of the church, through the witness of nature, through the human relationships that come our way, through a myriad of means and ways that God shows His love and compassion and mercy, His desire that we be saved and not die, that we repent and live, we do not take advantage of these opportunities which are great then even if someone were to rise from the dead we would not repent the time for our salvation is now and God is doing everything possible besides violating our free will to bring this about but it takes our response now what I want to focus on the rest of the time as if those things aren't important enough in themselves, is to look at the rich man side by side with Lazarus, both on this side of life, but also after death. Because I think that there's probably no clear picture painted for us in the Bible of how God, the ultimate judge, looks at things differently than the fallen world looks at things. We are in the world, but we are called not to be of the world. Not only in our actions, not only in our thoughts, not only in our dispositions and our attitudes, but even in the way that we understand things. I promise you, if you try to understand the things of the fallen world, and you accept that in your life, you are going to be in for a huge shock when you come before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because the world is lying to you. It is deceiving you. The evil one is the ruler of this world, and this world is shrouded in his darkness, his lies, and his deceits. And he wants nothing other than for you to buy into this false advertising and to accept this understanding and not God's understanding.
Let's look at this comparison and this contrast. The rich man on earth is clothed in purple and fine linen, while Lazarus is a beggar so sick that his body is full of sores. His clothing is tattered so that it could be easy to see the condition of his body because his clothes don't even adequately cover him. The rich man, he lives in a beautiful home, completely secure from all of the elements. Lazarus, Lazarus has no home at all. He lies before the doorstep of the rich man's house. The rich man is extremely wealthy. He is well fed. He is well clothed. And he, temporarily speaking, comes across as merry and happy and full of life. The rich man, on the other hand, is a man who is suffering. He is in pain. He is alone. He has no friends, no one to take care of him. His company is with the dogs. He is looked upon by all with indifference and disdain. The rich man is surrounded by wealth and health and a full stomach. Lazarus is in grievous want. He is in sickness and in hunger and in extreme deprivation. The rich man is surrounded by people, by songs, by dancing, by people making merry. Whereas Lazarus is silent and mute, hoping for even a crumb of bread from the rich man's table. He is silent in his suffering, waiting for death, with nothing on this side of life to look forward to at all. One thing that the fathers do say about Lazarus is that he does not grumble or complain, but he is exercising all the while patience and hope. Very important. The rich man has no name. Now on earth, he has a name. And you can bet that that name is echoed in king's courts, that it is all over the media, that it is in the mouths and the minds of people because he is a person of power and status and influence that his name will be written on a very expensive tombstone, to be sure, and it will be praised in his eulogy. But in this story, which is being told from God's perspective, he has no name. The last words that you would ever want to hear from God on the final day is be gone from me, I do not know you. And if you do not have a name in God's mind, 
He does not know you. Your name indicates an intimate relationship between yourself and God. Do you know that every single human being who enters into the kingdom of heaven will have a very unique, unrepeatable name on their forehead? Meaning that it will go before you. God will know you intimately. He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, Vespina. Not Diane. Maria. Not Colleen. That there is not one holy mystery in the life of the church where you are not called by name. Not, hey you, come receive the holy body and the precious blood of Christ under remission of sins and life everlasting. No. Naomi, the handmaiden of God. Anna Sophia. God knows you because you are His daughter or His son. And this is extremely significant. But this man, no name because there is no relationship because of him between himself and God. Whereas Lazarus, who is not known by anybody in the world, no one knows his name, no one cares, God does. God knows him, knows him intimately, created him in his image and called him to be like him and is waiting patiently for the exact right time to bring him to him, bring him home, into his bosom. What does bosom signify? What child does not want to be enveloped into the bosom of his or her mother? Who, when they are hurting and sick and afraid, does not want to be brought close and hugged and reassured and comforted and made to feel safe? The bosom of Abraham, where Lazarus ends up, connotes all of those things and very much more. So, when we look at the rich man, we see the outside, all glorious in purple and fine linen, with the best of everything. But what about the inward part of the rich man? God says that the inward soul of the rich man resembles the outward state of Lazarus. And the inward state of Lazarus resembles the outward state of the rich man. How easy we judge only by outward appearances. Someone who is beautiful, that smells nice, that dresses well, we want to be close to. They're desirous. We want to be in their presence. But how are we when there is someone that is sick that is smelly, that is poorly clothed, that it is clear that they are not in their right mind. How easily do we see the very personhood made in God's image and called to be like Him? This is a person. This person has a name. But it's not so easy for us, because we judge by outward appearances, to be able to see things as God sees them, to discern them as God discerns them, to judge them as God judges them. So what happens when death comes? The rich man goes to Hades, Lazarus to paradise. 
When the rich man dies, all of the world sighs and laments. And so many are gathered at his funeral. When Lazarus dies, he is alone. He is a public nuisance. They take him and bury him where they take and bury dogs who die on the road. So that, A, no one has to look at them. So other dogs do not tear their flesh and scatter them around the city and there is infection. So that the body does not go undergo corruption in public and become something that is unsightly and unseemly for the senses. This was the lot of Lazarus on this side of life. But guess what happened when the rich man died? There were no angels that came for his soul. He was surrounded by people. But demons came and they took him where he did not want to go. This is very clear in this story. There were no people for Lazarus, but he was surrounded by angels who carefully took his soul and carried it to the bosom of Abraham to paradise, where there for him will be no more pain, no sorrow, no sighing, no suffering. All the tears that he shed during his lifetime will be wiped away and not one more tear of pain or sorrow or sighing will be shed, but only of joy and glory unspeakable. Only in hell did the rich man finally lift his eyes. Not once did he lift them on earth. He took credit for all of his riches, for all of his wealth, for all of his success. If he hadn't, he would have noticed Lazarus. To be able to look down and see your brother in the ditch, you first have to look up. And see how much God has done for you. For he who has been forgiven much can then and then only love much. Only then can we be able to see anyone. Those who do good to us, those who do ill to us, those who are friends, and even those who are our enemies as our brother and sister. Even though Lazarus was laid prostrate, totally horizontal his entire life, we can say that with his soul he constantly looked up. His whole yearning was where he ended up because that was the state and condition of his soul. Even what the rich man had because he was such a poor steward was taken away from him and given to Lazarus. Not earthly speaking, but something that cannot be corruptible, that can never be taken away, that no thief can steal, that no moth and rust can corrupt, but is eternal, that he can enjoy forever and ever and ever. The rich man is now in eternal torment. Lazarus is in a quiet haven after such storms of life. The rich man dies with a sigh for this world, And Lazarus dies with a sigh for the world to come. He is now the rich man tormented in flame, guilty over scandalizing by his poor witness, his brothers. Don't think that when he thought of his brothers, he thought of, I've done a good job. I've been a good witness. 
by what I did, by what I said, by who I was, I'm going to help them towards the kingdom. This was not his state. Send Lazarus to my brothers. Send the prophets. Because I am tormented by guilt. I have done a horrible job. They are following my example. They're going to end up in the same lot that I am in. Can you imagine having no way to deal with that because you're dead? No way to repent of that. No way to overturn it. Look around you. What kind of witness do you have for your spouse, for your children, for your family, for your friends, for your co-workers? Who would accuse you of being like Christ? Who would want to follow you in your contrast to this world, to the kingdom of heaven? Something very important to think. My dear brothers and sisters, notice that the rich man was never accused by God of cheating, of stealing, of getting his wealth through illegal means. He was never accused of being an angry man, unfaithful to his wife, a horrible father. None of these things. What he is being accused of is being indifferent to Lazarus. Not loving him. Not being self-sacrificial, selfless, but being so selfish and all about himself that he stepped over, walked around, and completely ignored Lazarus day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until they both died. And for being unloving and having a horrible witness to the people that were closest to him. In this case, his brothers. I want to close by just reminding you that God looks at things very differently than the world does. And we are bombarded constantly by all of the values and all of the deceits and the allure of the fallen world. If we do not intentionally plug into the life of the church and all that it has given us and all that it offers us, if our life is not centered in Christ and His church, I promise you, the world will beat you down and you will begin to believe its lies. What is up, the world says is down. What is right, the world says is wrong. What is true, the world says is false. What is loving, the world says is hateful and intolerant. Only if we are people of the Word, people of the Fathers, people of the Holy Mysteries, if we are actively trying to repent in our life, if we are totally centered on what God values and living the kingdom now, but not completely yet, through the life of the church, will we be able to withstand such a bombardment of falsehood and be true to God and have a perspective by which to navigate our life. So let us follow the example inwardly of Lazarus and avoid the example of the rich man and value what God values even in the midst of the lies of this fallen world. Amen.